Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. There's the change and a whiff from Lau. And right now it's just pure deception. He has Lau well out ahead of it, and he fools and strikes him out. Yeah! And there's another one. Seeing it for the first time in a couple years... Ain't no fun for anybody. There goes the bat. There goes Choi. This is a really good pitch. I mean, that's the best changeup he's thrown. You saw the late movement. You see how he turns it over. This one just dives away, and Choi lets the bat go. Struck him out. Two to start the game. Two to end the fourth. Now you see it. Now you don't. Struck him out. The disappearing changeup. Two gone. The premier baseball show in Chicago. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel. That is Lucas Giolito from his start against the Rays. Been uh, been a pretty good run for Lucas Giolito. It was a, a bumpy one in May. The real bumpy one was in Boston, that crazy-ass morning Patriots Day game. But it's been fun to watch Giolito, who uh, has been really as entertaining and as interesting a pitcher as we have had in this town. I've talked about it before, where just watching his transformation, I think I I learned more about baseball and pitching from the Giolito transformation than anything. In low these many years, it's been really, really fun to watch and instructive. It's hit and run on 670, the score. And on Father's Day, wanted a chance to talk to Rick Giolito, Lucas's dad, who I've never spoken with um, and who is a great presence on Twitter. You can find him there and a great, rabid White Sox fan, perhaps unsurprisingly. And Rick Giolito joins us right now on hit and run on 670, the score. Good morning, Rick. Happy Father's Day. And thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Good morning and happy Father's Day to all the White Sox fathers out there. And, of course, all the fathers everywhere and stepfathers. Uh, Really beautiful day. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, Let me ask you, where did your love for baseball come from? And did it have anything to do with your own father? Uh, It actually happened uh, when I was quite young with my grandfather, uh, Fiorino Casino. Hmm. who uh, immigrated from Italy, and uh, he was a huge Mets fan. And he started taking me. I grew up in Whitestone, Queens, which is about, I guess, two and a half miles, three miles from Chase Stadium. And he started taking me to Mets games when I was a very young kid 
in fact, he and I used to uh, um, used to collect the uh, coupons on the back of Borden milk cartons because if you got twenty of them, uh, you got a free um, general admission ticket. So I drank a lot of milk growing up, and I was a huge Mets fan. <laughs> there, there it is. Yeah, milk, milk led to baseball. I like it. Was was Lucas interested in baseball on his own, or was it uh, something that you introduced to him? How did that work? That was all me. Come on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, he he strangely he wasn't really a fan of baseball. I was a huge fan, and my wife, by the way, mm-hmm. Lindsay, who uh, grew up in Minnesota, was a huge Minnesota fan. And we were we were both baseball nuts, to be quite honest. And when he was very, very young, like three years old, um, I would take him in the backyard in uh, Santa Monica, and I would have a game, make up a game of uh, a pitching game and a pop up game. And so I got him started that way. But he never really had a a favorite team. He watched all. All, you know, all teams. He wasn't a Dodger fan specifically or any team, actually. And uh, I used to, uh, you know, uh, as he grew up, um, you know, he was very tall, very lanky, threw the ball very hard, especially in Little League, too hard for a lot of the kids. Hmm. And um, I started showing him videos of uh, Tom Seaver and uh, um, uh, other pitchers, and uh, he, he, uh, he enjoyed it. Wow. See, see now, I know about you and Bob Gibson. I didn't know about yeah. Seaver. Um, well, but I, that, yeah, Tom, I mean, that Tom Terrific was my man. You know, I was mm-hmm. a Mets fan. Come on. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that, that, uh, dr- that, that, that drop and drive, I, I, you know, so, so those, those mechanics, did, did, did Lucas ever, you know, uh, think about using his bottom half the way that Tom did? Very few people are able to do that, really. No, because I, you know, Tom, Tom, very few people exactly could do what he did, but um, I, I just wanted him to have the grit and determination, uh, you know, on the mound, which is why I sent him the Cardinals away. And um, and Gibson was for me the epitome of what a what a pitcher is. I mean, I had to change the mound because of the guy. We may be changing something this year with what's going on, but yes. Uh, um, I, I just thought, look, I, you know, when he got a little older, I'd say around, you know, nine or 10, I said, watch this guy. Look at this. This is who you want to be. And uh, then uh, I bought him, you know, Bob's uh, books. He read them. And then, uh, you know, I'm really happy as a White Sox, but his buddy Jack Flaherty actually ended up on the team with Bob Gibson. Yeah. And, and, and he got friendly. He got friendly with Gibson. Oh, um, yes. He was, Lucas, Lucas was very envious of that. Oh, wow. Oh, oh, that's, that's interesting. You know, um, yeah, because I know you gave Lucas the book by, by Bob Gibson and Lonnie Wheeler, who is a terrific baseball writer, wrote a lot of really good books. And, and it's funny because I, 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 uh, it makes all the sense of the world now because I watch Lucas these days. He stalks. He sneers. He's like walking around behind the mound. And that does not seem to be his everyday demeanor, but that's some Gibson-esque mentality he seems to yeah. be channeling when he pitches, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, you know, you know, off the field, he's a big puppy dog, you know, uh, just, just a lovable guy, sweet as can be. And on the mound, you know, he's, uh, he, he, wants, he, he really believes that um, he can get everybody out and he wants to take these guys down and, 
you know, it's developed over time. As, as, you, as you get more confidence, I think you get that way. And some guys, you know, use that and can, can use that to motivate themselves. And other guys, you know, look, uh, you know, Dylan doesn't show much of anything. Uh, but, um, you know, it works for Lucas, and uh, I love seeing it. And, you know, the fans love it too, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I, I think so, and I think I think I think teammates, teammates dig it too. What, what's your level of investment emotionally, Rick, uh, these days when when Lucas is pitching and you're watching, whether whether you're here, whether you're on the road, or whether you're home, um, one to ten, your level of emotional investment. Like, do, can we go higher than ten? <laughs> sure. Yes. Oh yes, my lord! I mean, I feel you know I was talking to myself the last time you pitched because I don't watch the games. I, I, I just, I can't handle, I can't handle the tension. And um, I, I was talking to myself during that game. I'm like, why, why do I feel like I'm the guy on the mound? You know? <laughs> so, so you don't you know, you, like, a, you can't watch, you, you still can't watch. Oh no, no, I still, I, I can't watch. I keep telling myself, you know, like when he's like, you know, 32 or 33, and I, I think he knows what he's doing. I'll be able to watch, but um, I know he knows what he's doing now. Uh, but it's just easier for me because I get so mad at the umpires, you know, if they make, if they make a bad call or, or uh, you know, or somebody hits a, you know, dying quail and on a perfect pitch. It just drives me crazy. So it's just easier for me to, you know, kind of chill um, I take long rides in the in my in my car. I I'll do anything. Go shopping. I'll do anything to avoid it. And then uh, come home and I look at my wife. Go, what happened? And she'll go, he pitched great. But you but 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 then in the seventh, it, you know, and I'm like, oh uh-huh. god, okay. <laughs> so you're not even following along on game day on the phone. You're just like completely. No, no, yeah. no. I no 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 no. I, I actually uh, put my. My phone on mute. The problem is um, uh, people will call me, and during the no-hitter especially, I had it on mute, and I was gone. And, and my phone just kept ringing and ringing and ringing, you know, and yeah. uh, I knew something was up. But I still, I didn't watch. I, you know, I waited, and thank God I did because I didn't want to spoil it. Oh, and, and then do you watch after? Do you, do you watch the game after? Oh, absolutely. After? I, I watch both. I watch I watched the uh, I watched the uh, uh, Chicago feed uh, mm-hmm. with with Steve and Benetti, and then I watched the other teams feed to see what they have to say. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the Orioles game because I got to listen to you know Jim Palmer talk about him. That was fun. Wow, what did Palmer say? That that's really cool. What what, what did Palmer think of Lucas as he watched? You know, the same thing that a lot of guys say that they're surprised that. You know he's throwing changeups up in the zone. Yep. Because typically that's a, that's a pitch that gets um, you know demolished. But Lucas does it on purpose, and um, you know he really believes that um, he's he's able to tunnel so efficiently that uh, he, wherever he throws his changeup, it's the, the the speed differential so much that that he's going to get guys out whether it's up or down. Yeah, talking to Rick Giolito here on Hit and Run. Yeah, see, see, you're on it, um, obviously, um, with all the details on the tunneling and everything. His transformation, Lucas's transformation, was so instructive for us as media and for fans because he took control of his career. And he became, as I've often said, like pitchers have to be the CEO of their own company, you know? And it's like 
you can't be dependent on who your pitching coach is, who's employing you and all that. I, I, I hope you take some pride in the way that Lucas did that. And I think a lot of other young pitchers on this team and elsewhere are, are, are learning from his process in that. Well, yeah, it's interesting you should say that because when he was with the Nationals, he's very young, called up very young. And, you know, I, I, I had told him, uh, look, uh, you know, you got to be your own guy. Uh, people want you to change. Uh, you know, you got to think seriously about that before you do anything. And he, Lucas is a pleaser, and I think uh, he did uh, try and do a few things uh, that the Nationals wanted to do, and, it, and I think it sent him into a bit of a, of a funk. And uh, when he got to – and he learned from that. And when he got to uh, the Sox and, um, you know, uh, he was able to uh, come up with a team, and especially in 2018, and they stuck with him, you know, that allowed him to figure out a lot of things. I mean, you know, the team had to be in a specific situation, unlike the Nationals who were, you know – trying to uh, uh, win a World Series, um, the, the White Sox were, you know, in rebuild mode, so they had the, the time to let him progress. But, mm-hmm. you know, he, he did take it upon himself, and that changeup developed. You know, he told the story that he started throwing it after Tommy John, and I always thought, you know, I always thought he'd be a, a more of a – of a uh, – a Degrom type pitcher, you know, high nineties with a with a wipeout curve, hmm. and he's kind of settled into you know uh, mid nineties with a wipeout um, off speed pitch, with which many pe- people say is a tougher pitch to hit in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, the, the changeup, and and as you say, it's whatever whatever you can do these days that tunnels together perfectly and screws up guys' timings. You know, uh, that's the thing. He went from like six or seven pitches to really focusing on just the two for a while. I, 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 I remember watching that one game. I think he had to get through the fifth inning in the rain, and he and McCann threw like nothing but fastballs and change-ups, and he struck out the side in like 11 pitches or something, and it was like, right. oh, my God, they found something that day. Yeah, you, well, you know, it's, yeah, it's funny because McCann uh, did an interview with Lucas a little while ago and said after that game, um, you know, when it was raining and they knew they had to get it in, he came in after that game and said, why don't we just do that all the time? Lucas went, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, but it's interesting because, you you know, you watch him develop, but I don't know if fans uh, recognize what's going on right now, and that is that he's uh, taken it to another level. Um, he, You know, with Ethan coming back on board, uh, Ethan wants him to get back to um, – his other pitches, especially his, um, you know, uh, honing his slider mm-hmm. and bringing his curveball back. You know, Lucas, people have to understand. I know, you know, some people are disappointed because, you know, he's not, uh, you know, leading in the Cy Young and what have you, but he's 26 years old. And, um, and uh, DeGrom at 26 was a rookie. So Lucas is still developing as a pitcher. And uh, you're seeing him break, you know, uh, go uh, use that um, slider more. And he's starting to break out the curveball, which I love. And, uh, you know, he had a great double play and a couple of strikeouts on it. And, uh, you know, he, his, he didn't want to be Bob Gibson. He wanted to emulate Bob Gibson. Who he wants to be is Jason Verlander. And, you know, a complete pitcher, four pitches. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's what he's shooting for, and that's why he's continuing to develop, uh, especially this year, uh, bringing those other pitches in. I think you're going to see that continue. Well, see, that's interesting. So maybe maybe you sacrifice a little bit in results or length of outings or whatever as you continue to develop and you because you, you want to end up being – like Verlander, a guy who can go to other stuff. The third time through the lineup, you might need to have more depth of stuff than what you used the first couple times, right? Right, absolutely. Teams get used to it. And you've seen, you know, I mean, you know, guys are are kind of trying to figure out how it – the thing is, is the differential between this fastball and, and uh, changeup are so vast that it is very difficult to hit them. But they're coming up with plans to try and counteract that. So he needs to continue to get better. And Lucas is always working to get better. He can't just rely on two pitches. Mm. And he knows that. Even Katz knows that. And they're working hard. Now, don't get me wrong. He's not going out there, you know, sacrificing anything. He wants to win every single game. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, at, at some point, you've got to start throwing the other stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, everybody, everybody in the game is usually working on something while they're also trying to win. You know, it's uh, it's that's that that's where you have to do it. Um, I, I hope I hope Ethan is um, is emboldened enough to to tell Tony stuff when Tony needs to hear stuff. Uh, do, do, do you feel like uh, you feel like Tony listens to Ethan enough these days? I don't really have any idea what goes on uh, at the clubhouse level. I don't talk to Lucas about that. So I don't have any insight on that, but he must be listening because um, look at the results of, you know, this, this starting these pitchers. Um, I, I, I can't, I mean, how do you explain? I, I, you know, I I always thought that I always thought Dylan C said the best stuff on the team, just pure stuff, you know, and, um, it seems clear to me that Ethan has had a, a tremendous impact on him and uh, the rest of the guys are, you know, pitching lights out. Uh, you know, we've lost three starters and uh, I mean, three uh, position players out of our lineup and, yeah. you know, starting pitching is really doing a fantastic job keeping us in games. And so uh, if, if, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure that Ethan's had a tremendous impact on that. So I would say, yeah, of course, Tony is talking to him and listening yeah. to him and letting him do what he needs to do to get these guys where they need to be. Look at look at me trying to trying to start something and Rick Giolito patiently <laughs> volleying it away, swatting it back uh, like a like yeah. A, I, yeah, well done, well done, sir, well done. Well, yeah. you know, look, I mean, I I I, I honestly, I know I'm not trying to avoid. No, it, no, no, I'm, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. Don't worry about it. Hey, I, I don't. I, it's not something I talk to Lucas about. Good. Right, hey, let me let me ask you this. Um, what advice would you give baseball dads in the audience? Because, like, uh, just everybody dreams of having a kid in the major leagues, you know? So it's like uh, – it, it, uh, and, and some, some people think, well, I should keep pushing or I shouldn't keep pushing or I – you know? I, hey, I asked Chris Bryant's dad the same question an hour ago. So, you know, I, well, I ask you. speaking of Chris Bryant, man, I, you know, uh, we were in Santa Monica and I, I, I used to take Lucas to uh, – UCLA ball games. As a matter of fact, he used to ride his bike. It was about a mile and a half away, uh, just to go watch um, uh, Cole uh, pitch. Hmm. And uh, you know, you know, go watch those guys. You know, 
I, I mean, what I, I I was not the perfect baseball dad uh, by any means. You know, I wasn't the worst, uh, but you know, there were times when I was a little tough on him. Um, all I can say about this is uh, try and enjoy it because it's going to end. It ends for everybody. You can't be disappointed. For some kids, it ends at little league after little league. For some kids, it ends after high school. Uh, for some kids, college, and other people. If you're lucky enough, and the kids talented enough, pro ball. So uh, it doesn't go on forever. You know, it's a short career, and you, you've just got to enjoy, uh, support them unequivocally, uh, get out of their way. Uh, that one I had to learn the hard way. Get mm-hmm. out of their way. Uh, let the coaches uh, uh, do what they need to do. Uh, they know more than you do, and uh, and just kind of sit back and. Hopefully, uh, you know, your kid will develop. They'll develop to a certain extent, and then they'll stop, and then life will go on. But, you know, it's, it's a game at the end of the day, and you just have to, just have to sit back and enjoy it. Yeah, uh, see, that, that, that's good stuff. And getting out of getting out of the way can be can be tricky because you want so, so desperately to get to get in there. I'm a, uh, I'm a I'm a musician, Rick, and my son's playing piano. And when his teacher's here, I keep wanting to jump in and 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 insert myself. But he's not going to hear it from me the way that he'll hear it from the piano teacher. You know, he, he hears it better that way. Correct. And uh, you know, the, and the kids, what you know. When kids go out, the last thing they want to do is have the feeling that they're disappointing their parents. And, you know, they're playing the game, and, and it's voluntary. So, you know, if you show any kind of disappointment, it's just going to turn them off to it. So you really got to just sit back and, and you know, let them go. Let them, mm-hmm. let them you know, it's an activity. Yeah. And, and just be supportive. Who are, who are your favorite White Sox other than your son? Rick, who are your favorite players on this team? It's a really fun, interesting, deep team. Well, you know, obviously, uh, I love Pito. I mean, oh my goodness, what a what a baseball player! Mm-hmm. I just love everything about him, his whole story, yes. what he's been able to accomplish. I love the young guys. You know, Luis Robert. I'm so sorry about Nicky Two Strikes going down. He was really, really having a, a, a terrific time. I, I mean, I love all the players, but you know, I like to see. Uh, you know, Peter's got a great backstory, and then you know, my son being so young, I kind of, I kind of have a tendency to, and I'm so close to him. You know, becoming a pro, that I, I have a tendency to look at the younger guys and. Uh, you know, love watching them develop and and uh, and get some success. Yeah, that, that's great. Yeah, Abreu Pito is just he's just such a pro and such a solid guy in every way. Kevin Cash, the manager of the Rays, was just effusive in praise with him the other day because he because he he sacrifices himself when he needs to as a hitter and goes the other way and move moves guys over. But he's also such a good RBI guy. He's just so thoughtful at the plate and everywhere, really. Yes, and, you know, he, I mean, he's a pro's pro, and he's incredibly loyal. He didn't have to stay in Chicago. He yeah. wanted to stay in Chicago. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it, it's really a testament to who he is. He's like, this is my home. This is where I want to be. I, I went through the, the tough times, the hard times. And, you know, this guy came over on a boat, 
you know, and mm-hmm. uh, and built his career here, and you know, and then put all that time into the White Sox when they were terrible, you know, trying to figure it out, and now he wants to, you know, support the team to the end. I mean, you, you got to hand it to him. I mean, what a guy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Rick, thanks so much for the time, uh, giving us some time on a Father's Day. I, uh, if you're, are you in Santa Monica right now? No, no, I'm in New York. We live in New York now. Oh, uh, you live in New York now. So, so you can't go get yourself an Italian sandwich. Bay cities. You, you ever, you ever had that, those godmother sandwiches in Santa uh, of Monica? Of course. Of oh. course. With regularity. Yeah. Yes. Just yes. Terrific. So. All right, so I was going to say go get one for me and ship it, but you're in New York. You could find a good one in New York. I'm I'm pretty sure we could find one here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Rick, thank you so much. A pleasure talking to you. Happy Father's Day, and and congrats on uh, on, on a a wonderful kid who this town really enjoys in every way. So thank you you for that. Thank you very much, and happy Father's Day to everyone out there. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate that. That's Rick Giolito. Bye-bye. See you later. Rick Giolito, Lucas's dad, right here on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Um, we will talk to Lawrence Holmes a little bit later on in this show. Uh, right now, the phone lines are open if you want to hop back in and continue the theme of the day, which is your father and baseball. Had some great stories uh, to end the 10 o'clock hour. We've got a little more time right now. So hop in at 312-644-6767. Give me a good story about your father and baseball. Here on Father's Day, it's hit and run on 670 The Score. Hey, think Cup fans are excited about Wilson Contreras? I mean, he's probably having enough trouble just keeping his heart rate down, and then he gets a standing ovation from 40,000 people. That's a, a goosebump kind of moment here before his first ever big league at bat. High and deep to center field, and it- What a scene and what a moment for Wilson Contreras homering in his first major league at bat. Got a standing ovation before the at bat and a curtain call after. Wilson Contreras in 2016 on Father's Day weekend for his first home run. And I remember that during that time, Wilson's father was still in Venezuela. His parents were in Venezuela and were in danger. And he ended up being able to get them into the States. Wilson's little brother, William, by the way, playing uh, right now in Atlanta as a catcher. So, but that's cool. Uh, Father's Day memories coming at you via me, Matt Spiegel, and Sean Anderson producing here at The Score. Been a pleasure talking to you guys and ladies all day today. And uh, we will continue uh, up until 1235 in Cubs pregame with Zach Zaidman. Lawrence Holmes is going to join us in a little while. Let's um, take some calls, though. Don is in Hampshire. Don is now on 670 The Score. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Matt. Thanks for the show. Spent most of my time in tears, but, oh. you know, my story's the same as a lot of people. First ball, bat, glove, going down, signing up for Little League, uh, racing home to see Lloyd Pettit and Jack Brickhouse on the leadoff man, talking with my dad about the game when he got home. And then he's a White Sox fan. 
White Sox moved to WFLD, Channel mm-hmm. 32, mm-hmm. and we were watching the games at night, and he taught me how to keep score, oh. and I miss him so much. Oh. Thanks for the show, mate. Hey, Don, you got it. Thanks for calling. Thanks for calling. Woof. Taught him how to keep score, huh? Yeah. Oh, it's good stuff. You know, tears are okay every once in a while when they're good tears, right? We like the good tears in baseball. Ben is in Queens uh, on 670 The Score. What up, Ben? How are you? Good afternoon to you. You know, I'm over at Clint. Just listen to the last guy. Uh, just one thing about my father. You know how memories memories are something we constantly reconstruct. They're not static. We always are, are redoing them and, you know, whatever memory we have. The earliest memory of my father, I remember we're sitting in Wrigley Field, summer day, I think it's 78 or 79, playing the Dodgers. And, you know, my dad was not a baseball fan, but, you know, he did give me the love of music, and he did take me to all my Little League practices. I remember him distinctly overreacting to, you know, a fly ball or a home run. I can can hear his voice now. So, listen, this has been my summer baseball content with the nine-year-old, and I'm, I'm here to help in any way I can. I finally have got him hooked on it. You know, as I told you, we went out to the Cubs-Mets game last uh, Monday, yeah. went straight to the the batting cage. They got a bunch of fundamentals out there in center field. Clearly overmatched by the velocity. Couldn't do it. But on the final pitch, he got a little piece of it. And, I'll, you know, and he talked about it the rest of the game. You know, we went to go see Arietta crap down his pant leg. But we got to see Rizzo hit a frozen rope into the upper deck. And, you know, it was a woe moment for him. So, anyway, I'm sitting at home on Wednesday in dismay, like you, watching David Ross forfeit the game. Okay, Cubs batters, 40 strikeouts for the first three games. Uh, Cubs pitchers, 21 walks issued for the first three games. It's like the third week of April. It's deja vu all over again. There's an ad on the on the television screen, flash sale for, for Mets tickets. My wife goes, oh, yeah, Poppy, what do you want to do for Father's Day? He says, what do I want to do for Father's Day? I want to go to the Cubs game on Thursday. That's what I want to do. So we show up directly to the batting cage. I'll be damned if he didn't make contact on every pitch. We went to go sit down. Chris Bryant cracks a single, and Javi Baez goes yard. And then we sit down and watch Kyle Hendricks just totally flabbergast the Mets uh, 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 lineup. We take the season series. Go Cubs. There you go, Ben. Thanks for the call. You saw a good one, and he made contact in the cage. Way to go, Ben Kidd. Way to go. Doug is in Shorewood on a Father's Day edition of Hit and Run on the score. What's up, Doug? None. How you doing, Matt? I'm great. Thank you. Great. Happy Father's Day. Thank you so much. Uh, oh, I just wanted to tell uh, two quick points. And the first one is my dad took us, my two brothers and I, to the first Cubs night game, got rained out. Somehow he got tickets again for the second, and we got to go see the actual first night game. Wow. So that's cool. That is cool. And then secondly, though, back in the high school, I hit uh, – we were playing Elk Grove High School. I know it. And uh, I hit two home runs in the game. And then uh, top of the seventh, I uh, came up with the bases loaded. We were winning, so it wasn't a game changer. But I hit one. I thought it was gone. And I was Tim Anderson before Tim Anderson. I, you know, was like, oh, and I'm watching it. Toss my bat aside. I don't hear anything. It's like the natural fireworks going off. I think I hit a grand slam. And all I hear in the crowd, I don't hear anybody in the crowd other than run, run, Doug, run. (laughs) And I'm like, 
okay, Dad. And I was thrown out at third base because it hit off the fence. (laughs) But you heard him. His his voice got to you. It cut through. That was was the only thing I heard. Only thing I heard. I was in his own, you know. That's that's tremendous. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Doug, so much. No problem. All right, we'll squeeze one more in. This is Mary in Wheeling uh, on 670 The Score. Mary, uh, thanks for calling in. How are you? I'm well, thanks. I'm a huge fan of the show, and I really like all the baseball. I've learned so much from your show over the last year or two. Um, I just wanted to call in, and one of the things my dad used to say was that one of his earliest choices in life, his earliest choice was to be a Cubs fan. Um, He lived right near Wrigley on Magnolia, and they used to go clean up the park and get free tickets from the bleachers, and he listened to it on the radio all the time, but... He was a Cubs fan for 50 years and always took us to games when um, even later on when they moved away, they moved to the East Coast. He would still come into town for Cubs games and take us and my friends and my cousins. And it was just a really fun thing that we could, you know, had in common. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thanks, Mary. Thanks so much for the call. Yeah. Um, Social lubricant Uh, baseball as social facilitator, as familial facilitator. We always have it to talk about uh, with family. That is, that is absolutely true. That constancy is a big, big deal. Uh, 670, the score is where you are. Our teammate Lawrence Holmes joins us next right here on Hit and Run. We take you up until Cubs pregame at 1235 on the score. I actually had a thought last night that I want to do at some point, whether I just jump on Hit and Run or something, I want to have a conversation with you about building a rotation and whether or not it can be done in the, in the way that people think it's been done traditionally. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that last night. And what happens? Danny Parkins walks in here with his statement from Ted Phillips. And now you're talking about the Chicago Cardinals playing out in Arlington Heights. Uh, so, Kyler and Justin Fields in the same city. Sunday morning, 1140. What are you doing? You busy? I can make something happen. All right. Sunday, Sunday at 1140. Lawrence Holmes on Hit and Run. Just booked a guest. Tell Sean Anderson he's off the hook for that segment. Sean did a lot of other stuff for the show, but I took care of this one. That's right. Every once in a while, your boy will step up, take care of it himself. Teammate, middle child like me, Lawrence Holmes, joins Hit and Run right now on a Sunday morning. Lawrence, good morning. How are hey, you? Hey, Speaks. Happy Father's Day to you. Uh, thank you so much. Happy Father's Day to your pops. Um, yeah. I would assume... That he played a role in your baseball love and your relationship with the game. Fair to assume? Yes. The the notorious DAD had a lot to do with <laughs> that, like growing up. And it's it's interesting because with my dad, my dad's an academic. Like sports wasn't really his thing, mm-hmm. which is strange having a him having a father that played in the Negro Leagues. But he loved baseball and they were both very pivotal. Like I remember like the first time I got a glove. Like I remember where I was. I remember being in in the, the driveway, being four years old mm-hmm. with my father and my grandfather and getting my first glove and like playing catch with a tennis ball. Like that's one of the first real memories that I have wow. is is that. And it's been it's been such a, an interesting journey for me through sports with a father who's an academic where I had when I was a kid like I wanted to play all this stuff and 
he was right there to like take me to games and and all of that. And it wasn't until probably like adulthood where I started doing this for a living that he was opens probably not the right word, but he was more uh, maybe it is the right word open with all of the stuff that he loved in sports. Like I remember him getting hyped up because I was hosting a show with Doug Buffon <laughs> because Buffon was like his favorite player. And to be able to have a guy that I really loved and respected at work connect with my father. I, I always, uh, I cherish that, that he had so much respect for Buffon as an athlete. And then I had all this respect for Doug as a, a mentor and as a broadcaster to be able to share that, I think was really, really cool. That is really cool. So, you know, it's interesting. So, uh, so he's an academic and you end up Lawrence, you know, teaching. Uh, yeah. And, 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 but also, <laughs> but also as you talk, as you talk about baseball and you talk about sports and you know, the way that you do, um, and, you know, you end up, you end up educating people, whether that's the intent or not. You know, that, that's that's why we cho- have to choose our, our words and subjects carefully, because we are filling people's heads with stuff about. the. Yeah. If you look at the, the Venn diagram between like college professors or teachers and sports talk hosts and lawyers, like there's there's significant crossover with what it is that we're asked to do. For sure. So I, I, I think that all of those things played a role. And I, I, I was listening to the show. I've listened to all the great callers who have been checking in and, and talking about their dads and and grandfathers and stuff. And and I think where I connect the sports thing with my dad isn't actually sports, it's competition. And that comes from him teaching me chess hmm. when I was younger, where he's so good, he he actually, you know, taught chess. You know, it wasn't like he he taught me how to play, but he also taught hundreds of students how to play chess throughout his time teaching. And I just would, he just destroyed me. Like he would just, (laughs) and he wasn't taking it easy on me. And he was teaching me about the pieces and how they move and how they connect with each other. But he's also a bit of a virtuoso. So that type of stuff comes easy to him. It doesn't come as easy to me. And so I think my lifetime record against my dad is like 216 and two. Like I think it's something like that in chess. Oh, but, but those the last, two. Oh, those hey, two though. Speaks. And that's what the record's going to be forever. Because the last game we <laughs> oh, played, yes, I yes. won. And I was like, that's it. We're yep. never playing again. And that's it. Oh, so you called it that time. See, I remember my dad taught me how to play tennis, right? And we used to play singles as I was growing up. We'd play. And then one time, like, I was moving them all over the court. You know, I think I was probably 14 or 15, hitting the left, hitting to the right. And then he was running the other way, and I hit this bullet of a ground stroke behind him. And he started laughing. He threw his racket up in the air, and he's like, that's it. We're done. Okay. All right. And he walked off the court, and we never played singles against each other again. He was just done. So he got that done. my, My mom actually took a picture of the board. (laughs) <laughs> because she knew what it just happened was fairly historic and that I was never going to allow myself to 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 get run out off the board by my father yeah. again. Oh. So she took a picture of it. It's, 
but yeah, I, I think about that a lot. Like I think about the lessons that I, that you get from your parents and, and the lessons that I get from my father. Like they're a couple that stay in my mind and they're practical. Like his pragmatism is one of the best gifts that I've gotten. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a good combination between my mom's like level of preparation and fire and passion mm. and his like pragmatism. But the things I remember are pay yourself for first. You know, he always talked about that as far as saving money that make sure that you pay yourself first. Mm. And I asked him a question. He worked at Chicago state for a really long time. And if you know anything about the history or the recent history of Chicago state university, it's a university that's had some significant problems and, and some issues with funding, too. And I always asked him, you know, why do you stay here? Like, why? Why is it that you stay here? And he said, everything I have is because of this place. And so he always felt a, a level of loyalty to it. And I think about that, like in conjunction with with being at the score that they're I've been there for 23 years, and I know that that's partially based on some of the similar thinkings of, you know, everything I have is because of this. And my dad went there. My dad and my mom went to what was then Chicago Teachers College and then eventually turned into Chicago State University. But it's, it's little stuff like that where I don't even know yeah. if he knew that he was dropping gems on me. Mm. Yeah, but he see, was. Yeah, see, that's, that's the thing. You never know what, what they're going to pick up. I think about that all the time for good and for bad um, with the Rubster. But I, it, I, what's this rotation theory? I, I want to I I hear you speaks, talk uh, rotation. Speaks, we can do it another day, man. No. I don't have a problem firing up the Comrex some other Sunday and us doing it. No, no, no. Yeah, bring it to me. I, I'm interested. I, I've been interested since you brought it up. I, I was thinking about this while watching DeGrom. And I was thinking about what the Mets had, if we went back in time, yeah. like five years ago, where it's like, look at all these, you know, it's, it's DeGrom, it's Syndergaard, it's Steven Matz, it's, it's all of these, these arms that they Harvey. had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was Matt Harvey. And, and, and you're just going, they're going to dominate this league for a really long time. And then the reality of what pitching does to your arm pops up. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering... Do I wonder if baseball operations think of building rotations that way, if they're like, we're going to draft all these arms, or if the model that the Cubs used, where it's like, ah, we'll, we'll try and develop some arms, but we're going to pay for our rotational help. Like, I wonder where you stood on kind of the current state of how to build a rotation and if there are lessons to be learned. Because I'll even go back earlier. Like, I'll go back to an earlier Mets I remember it was it was Isringhausen and Wilson and Pulsifer yeah. and and like oh this is the way that it's going to be in the future mm-hmm. where we're going to just build these guys from the ground up. Is it possible to do that now? Yeah, I don't I I don't think it is possible to do that and bank on them. I think I think you have to. I mean, the easy answer if you're a T if you're a big market behemoth is both because the Dodgers have done both. They continue to produce people like Dustin May. But when Dustin May from their system blows out an elbow, then David Price can step in the big money that they just took because they can, you know. Um, but the, the best organizations develop them and just relentlessly throw them at you. The Indians uh, have have done it and keep doing it with arm after arm after arm. 
And they don't have the money to throw at the free agents, but they survive and are competitive in the division year after year because it's, it's about volume. And I, I, think, I think what happens is, like the ones you're talking about, those Mets is, is stories and narratives, we get hung up. Zach Wheeler was there too. I mean, they had so many. Um, we get hung up on the story when, if they're all on the same timeline, like those guys were, it was like, here they are. Here Just are the wait five. till they get here. Wait till they all get here together. And it doesn't work like that. Doesn't work like that because they develop differently. Some get hurt and some don't. Um, you know those kind of things. So like that ends up being a victim of the narrative. But they needed more. They needed even more. Um, so you know a team like the Indians keeps doing it and keeps producing them. What what Theo and and the Cubs decided to do was to just throw money at it, and they kind of they let themselves get bypassed in terms of the, the development and the pitch lab and that stuff that they did not have, um, and, and they didn't focus on it enough. And when they did shift gears and focus, it was a little too late because when Darvish is failing in twenty eighteen. Um, they didn't have uh, they didn't have the next two or three options. They weren't there when Darvish and Chatwood both were failing. They didn't have the next couple options in house. Uh, they they might have if they had shifted gears a couple years earlier. They might have ended up with those guys. So, you know, I I I think the Mets experience will go down as a victim more of the timeline having measured out to be the same and us expecting them all to show up. Um, and, and, and you need an endless trove of, of guy, of how to do it. And I'll say one more thing about the way the Indians do it, which is that they teach them to throw strikes. And you've heard Stoney talk about this to you, to yep. me, to others, right? They teach them to throw strikes in the minors and then they develop the pitches. But the first thing is throw strikes. And once, once you have that, and then you develop the pitches on top of it and you're in, then the possibilities are, are endless. So um, does that satisfy the question a little bit? Yeah, it does. I, I, I've always wondered kind of what you thought of the Cubs in particular, because I like their model and I wonder what they would, would say about how it was that they allowed themselves to fall behind because those are guys that usually stuff doesn't fall through the cracks with them, but pitching development in particular truly fell through the cracks with them it did it did and I, and I wonder how Jed proposes to do things differently going forward where it's a nice combination of let's pay for a rotation and let's build a rotation from the bottom up well they did it they adjusted together um it was a little too late but they moved Jason McLeod sideways and they brought in Craig Breslow and they brought in Josh Kantrovitz um and 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 they've they've done some different things you know um and there was a while there where they got a little bit complacent is too harsh a little too trusting of people with a good track record um and just a little a little too focused on on winning at hand and not looking down not looking down into the development as much as they had and keeping up with the times it happens you know even in smart organizations it happens but uh, Theo and Jed did fix it together, I do believe. And you're seeing some of the fruits of that now. All right, one more thing before I go. Yes, sir. Joey Votto, bag or no bag? I can't I, – I, I lean towards no bag, but then people are like, no, he's – and I'm like, I don't – No. I'm not sure. 
No, bag factor very low for me on Joey Votto. The story last night with him getting thrown out of the game and then, you know, the, the little girl Abigail who, like, built her whole day around going to see her favorite player just in tears because he got thrown out. And then they sent, he sent him a ball. Do you see that? They sent, yeah. Uh, yeah, they sent the ball and said, I, I'm sorry I wasn't there for the entire game. But, you know, I, I think Joey's really interesting and kind of odd. That, maybe that's the right word that he's a little bit odd because even even before the game, I guess he he sought out a San Diego fan that like a kid that had a lot of the San Diego Padre swag and he like went and talked to him and his friend. So yeah. I'm like, I odd is a good thing. Like he seems to have a sense of humor when yes. he's at the podium. Like and, and I'm not sure if we're supposed to be in on the joke or not yeah. with him. So, so I, I, I come to you for these types of <laughs> well, probing questions. And the other thing is he's super <laughs> curious. He's crazy curious and intellectually ravenous. Like, he's, there was a story in The Athletic a few weeks ago about, like, you know, there was a while there where he's like, I want to know how people make watches. And all of a sudden he knew everything about how you make Swiss watches. You know, it's like he's that guy who just, like, gets caught in weird, weird uh, rabbit holes and just learns and learns and learns and learns. So he's not just about the baseball, you know, I appreciate that. I appreciate you giving me a few minutes on hit and run to discuss all of these things. <laughs> Thank you, Lawrence. Appreciate you. I'll man. see you I'll, tomorrow. I'll see you tomorrow. That's Lawrence Holmes. You hear him uh, noon to two on his show on 670 The Score. Um, I am Spiegel. You are you. This is hit and run. I've got another 30 minutes. Bonus 30 minutes. I know my wife is psyched. Bonus 30 minutes of hit and run uh, coming your way. I got lots of thoughts on the Cubs and the Sox, but also if you want to talk about your father and baseball, as we've had some wonderful calls doing that, I've saved some texts that have come in. And if you want to talk about your father and baseball, we can do that at 312-644-6767. There will be time for consternation about rotations and, and batting averages and on-base percentages. It's okay to have some good vibes, babe, on a Father's Day. So call in and tell me about your father and baseball at 312-644-6767. It's Hit and Run. Keep it right here. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.